Our first reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. And this can be found in your hand, on your handouts, as well as on page 972 of your church Bibles. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is the word of God. Our second reading is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. And this can be found on your handouts as well as on page 1183 of your church Bibles. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of God. Now, today we will continue with and finish up our study in Colossians. So we will shift several verses ahead of last week just to kind of put some things together. Next week uh, will be excellent. We'll have Tom Haugen coming and preaching in the morning service. He was a previous pastor at IPC. And so if you want to see him, want to say hi to him, please make sure to be here at the morning service. He will not preach in the evening, just the morning. So if you want to see him, come in the morning next week. Now a quick review of last week. Last week we talked about Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. In these verses, we focused on the topic of God reconciling to himself all things through Jesus. 
We said that all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and through his death and resurrection, all things will be put back into their right places, their right relationships to him. We stood before God as his enemies, but through Jesus, he has brought us to reconciliation. We can stand before him as righteous through Jesus. Today's verses will capture and kind of sum up many of the ideas we have talked about in the previous weeks, but we'll flesh them out a little bit more. In this passage, Paul will be urging the Colossian Christians to stay strong in their faith against the pressures that are surrounding them. The Colossian believers firstly had the pressures of the Roman world, the pressures and temptations to worship the pagan Roman gods. And then there was the pressure from the false teachers that Paul keeps bringing up. And we've talked about them several times now. These were teachers among the church who were advocating a mix of Jewish and Roman and Christian practice. Kind of mixing them all together and mixing in some mysticism, mystic beliefs. They advocated that Jesus was not actually God, but one of many special beings who could connect us to God. And they argued that Christians must also follow the Jewish law in order to truly be saved. Let's pray as we delve into our passage. Lord, thank you for your words that you have spoken to us through Colossians. Help us to truly understand them. Help us to meditate on them now and today. And as we go home, help us to continue to focus on them and learn from them. Let us put them into practice into our lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen. In the verses preceding our passage for today, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, Paul basically talks about what he's been doing, what he's been involved in, and the suffering that he has experienced And he talks about what he calls the mystery of God that is now revealed. This mystery is Christ. Christ living in us and Christ offering salvation, that reconciliation, to both Jews and to Gentiles, to everyone. And this brings us up to verses 6 and 7, which I'll read once more. So then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So because you have received Jesus as your Lord, don't give up on him. Continue to live your lives in him. As the Colossians are facing these outside pressures from the Romans and the false teachers, They need to be reminded to persevere in their faith. They must be rooted in Christ, giving that great mighty tree imagery, and they must also be built up in him like a strong tower. Verse 7 follows this, adding in the command of overflowing with thankfulness. And this naturally works with being rooted and built up in Christ. The more we understand God, the more that we know him, the more thankful we're going to be. And the more thankful we are, the more we'll be drawn back into worship and communion with him. 
Thankfulness is both the result and the um, thankfulness is both the natural result of being rooted in Christ, and it is a practice that also deepens our roots in Christ. Last week, the last point in Colossians one that went that we went through was from verse twenty three, which says, "If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel." In these verses for today, from chapter two. Paul is giving us a callback to this. The verses are so similar. Be rooted and built up in Jesus, strengthened in your faith. Be established and firm, not moving from your hope in the gospel. He wants to drill this reliance on Jesus into our heads. And all of this points us and reminds us of the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. This is not a one-to-one application. But Jesus illustrates something very similar to being rooted and built up in him. Here Jesus has just been giving instruction on how to live in his Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talks about building your house on the rock and not on the sand. And he says if we follow his commands, we are building our houses on the rock. And if we are not living out his commands, we're building our houses on the sand. In this chapter, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Being rooted and built up in Jesus doesn't just mean having a head knowledge. It means living out our faith, putting our words into practice in our lives. The Colossians were hit by the beating rain, the powerful winds, the rising streams of the world around them. And when they weren't built on the solid rock of Christ, following his commands, they would come crashing down. And clearly, since Paul is writing this letter and these commands to them, many of them did build their houses on the sand, and some of them definitely did come crashing down. Things aren't so different for us today as for the Colossians. No matter who we are, where we come from, the rain and the winds of the world will be crashing against us. And when this happens, which it is for all Christians, it can be revealed to us whether we have built our house on the rock or on the sand. Our responses to conform or to pressure reveal the spiritual state that we are in at the moment. If I'm living out God's commands under this pressure, I know that God has worked and built me upon himself. And if I'm rejecting God or caving to the pressure, it's revealed to me I have tried to build my life on the sand, or at least this part of my life on the sand. A wonderful grace from God is that he can sharpen us and grow us through our failures. When God reveals to us that our house has collapsed, When God brings us to come face to face with our failure, that's a grace from God. When God brought the prophet Nathan to King David 
to convict him of his adultery and his murder. That was a grace. When we do slip and fall, it is a chance that God is giving us to grow. It's a chance for a building project. We can look at our little house that's on the sand, that's fallen to pieces, and with God's strength, we can take that splintered wood and we can take the pieces of our lives lying on the sand and we can start to build anew on the rock of Christ. We can start to grow in our faith and to start to follow his commands once more. Now we'll shift our focus to verse 8, which we'll read again if you'd like to follow along. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Now here will, Paul will delve deeper into those false teachers and teachings that we talked about in the introduction. Paul is not saying that philosophy in general is bad. Definitely not. He is referencing this specific philosophy, that of the false teachers in Colossae. And he says this philosophy is hollow. It is empty. Remember last week we read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, that all of God's fullness dwells in Jesus. So this philosophy is hollow and empty of God, while Jesus has God's fullness. He is brimming, the opposite. This philosophy is deceptive, and it depends on human traditions and what it calls the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And again, this philosophy was a mix of mystical Jewish beliefs, some Christian beliefs, and some pagan beliefs and traditions. These beliefs, it says, take people captive. This term was used for taking prisoners in war, prisoners for slavery or to sell back. So following the beliefs of these teachers was entering into slavery to the world rather than the freedom that Christ offers to us. And the sticking point that Paul gives us in the end of verse 8 is that these beliefs did not depend on Christ, where fullness lies. Christ is the litmus test, or the test of ultimate truth. These beliefs were hollow based on humans rather than on Christ. In Christ is fullness. Any belief not based on him will be missing the mark. Here we have a very practical application to our lives. The false teachers uh, were teaching and living out what we call syncretism. This means it's mixing Christian beliefs and practice in with other beliefs and other practices. It's as if they put all these beliefs into a bowl, mix it around, and of course the end product is not following Christ, but is a belief and a practice completely different. Let's say you have flour. Flour is very plain, right? It's just white powder. But when you start adding in butter and eggs and chocolate and leavening, and you throw it in the oven for 20 minutes, and boom, you have a cake. And the flour is completely unrecognizable in a cake. Yes, technically it's there, and maybe a tiny bit of the flavor is there. But really it has become something completely different. Something that looks different, feels different, and tastes different. 
No one would ever say of a cake after eating it, man, that was some delicious tasting flour. No, you would call it a cake, right? You would say this is a delicious cake. You would forget the flour completely. Syncretism, mixing the following of Jesus with other beliefs and practices, is extremely common today as it was then. Again, the mixing of Jewish, Roman, and Christian beliefs was the teaching of these teachers. And the end result was something like a cake compared to flour, something barely resembling Christianity following Jesus at all. Today, in all cultures and places, we have this. In Thailand, for example, where I grew up, sometimes at first when someone would become a Christian, there was the temptation to still continue in their old Buddhist or animist practices. They might worship Jesus in the morning, but also offer food and incense to the spirits living on their property. Or they would go to the temple to honor their relatives who've passed away. Another example would be someone who is a Hindu when they, when they learn about Jesus. Sometimes there's the temptation to just add him to the pantheon of gods that are already worshipped in that context. It's easy for us to talk about this happening in other parts of the world, but the reality is all of us do this one way or another. Often in the West here in Switzerland, our syncretism doesn't take these specific forms, but many other forms that are just as harmful and are often a bit sneakier, a bit harder to detect. Our gods here in the West go by other names, right? Pleasure, comfort, power, wealth, me, individuality, buying into popular behaviors and distorting scripture to support ourselves, or trying to build God into our own image rather than trying to conform to his. The reality is that we all do this to some extent. We are all guilty. We all mix and match our religion. And so I want us to ask ourselves today, what other beliefs, what other ways of life am I mixing in to the following of Christ? What thing in my life do I not want to give up to God? Or am I not willing to give up to God? That's usually a good sign of what else we are worshiping, what else we are mixing in to the pot. As followers of Christ, we need to strive to love and worship and glorify him alone. Everything else should fall away. We need to worship the true God, to be conformed to his image. And again, the ultimate test, the litmus test, for if something is from God is Christ and his words to us in the Bible. Human traditions and world cultures and theological fads change every few years, but Christ is unchanging, and his words to us in the Bible are unchanging. We'll now move on to verses 9 and 10, which follow straight from verse 8. Let's read these verses together. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. 
Our beliefs, our lives must depend on Christ because all the fullness of God lives in him. He is the son, the person of the Trinity. And again, this is the comparison of the hollowness of the false philosophies taught by the teachers with the fullness of Christ. And not only is Jesus God, does the fullness of God live in him, but it says he also brings us to fullness or to completeness. The ways of the Roman gods or the syncretized uh, mixed religion of the teachers are not just hollow, empty philosophies. They also work in us to leave us empty and hollow. When we buy into them, they don't fill what we truly need. There's not any substance there. They take us captive, as verse 8 said. They take us prisoner. But when we do follow Jesus, we are brought to fullness, completeness. Jesus fulfills us. The reality is that we were created to know God and to love him. And that is the best possible thing. God is perfect, and to be with him, to experience him and his perfect love is the ultimate in his amazing love for us, he created us, designed us to be with him, to experience him. Buying into empty philosophies of the world reminds me of raisin cookies. So sorry, there's lots of baking analogies this week. So who here likes raisin cookies? Anyone? Who here does not like raisin cookies? Good, good. I'm sorry, but I cannot stand raisin cookies. I just can't do it. I can't finish one. But I do love chocolate chip cookies. They always just hit the spot. And the thing is, I'm always tricked by raisin cookies. I always, probably many of you as well, it's terrible, right? I always fall into the trap. I look at the cookie, and I think it's a chocolate chip cookie. They look so similar. And I get excited, and I grab the cookie, and I take a bite, and I am immediately flooded with regret, with the taste of raisins. Usually, I, I can't finish it. I can't down it. I usually look for a trash can, and I sneakily, when no one's looking, kind of drop it into the trash. Don't tell anyone. The philosophies of the world can look really good, but in the end, they will not give you what you're looking for. For me, a raisin cookie might look like a delicious chocolate chip cookie, but it's a trap. When I bite into it, it doesn't satisfy, and I'm full of regret. Only the chocolate chip cookie would have hit the spot for me. Only it would have satisfied my craving. So even though other philosophies in the world might look good in the moment, they're going to be like that raisin cookie. They will not satisfy. Only Jesus can satisfy, satisfy us. Only he can bring us to fullness or to completeness. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it's true. As humans, we have this hole in us that can only be filled by God. And when we shove other things in there, they don't fit. It's painful and they harm us. But when God fills this emptiness in us, we are brought to fullness. We are made complete. 
Rather than being captured, we are made whole once again. Verse verse 10 ends with a really encouraging statement for us. It says, And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Now here, power and authority is probably referencing the spiritual world, not the physical world. And so it's probably referencing evil spiritual beings that are out there. Often in this context, this is used in this way. In Christ, we aren't under the enslavement of false philosophies or demonic powers any longer. We aren't taken captive. Jesus is over these forces. If we think back to chapter 1, verse 16, it says that through Jesus, all things have been created, and all things have been created for him and for his glory. And that verse also references spiritual beings, saying that all thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, all these beings, whatever and whoever they are, were created by him and for him. Jesus is the head over them all. He has power over them all. They don't all follow him or work for his good, but they cannot overpower him. He he is infinite, and he has the power to protect us. And when God enters that empty space in us, we are sealed by him. We are a part of his family. We are protected by him. Now, Jesus isn't just the head over every power and authority, but the scripture says that he has triumphed or he has victory over and against every spiritual power. Because of time today, we'll need to miss verses 11 through 14. And if you have time today, I would recommend to read those at home. So we will move straight to verse 15. And verse 15 connects us to and references this phrase in verse 10. This last sentence in verse 10 again says, He is the head over every power and authority. And verse 15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus, by the cross, through his death and resurrection, has disarmed the evil spiritual powers in the universe. Not just are we forgiven, not just have our sins and our debts been nailed to the cross, not only has Christ died for our sins, but Jesus has defeated these powers. We know that these beings still live, and they still do evil in the world, but that, as we have talked about many times in the last few weeks, when Christ comes again, he will permanently judge these beings, and he will make everything in its right spot again. But in the meantime, he has disarmed these beings, both from harming us and of accusing us of sins before God. Jesus has taken away our sins, and these accusations of guilt cannot be made against us any longer. Now, finally, the phrase, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, gives us an image that was so common in the Roman world. When the Roman military would have a victory and would conquer another people, the generals of this war would ride through the streets of Rome, and in their wake, following them, chained up 
humiliated, a public spectacle were the kings and the rulers and the leaders of the defeated nation. And the people of the city would come out of their houses and they would watch. The defeated were publicly shown off. Now, our God has triumphed over evil not in the way that we expect. God triumphs over evil in Jesus, not through the ways of evil, not through military power or arrogance or cruelty. God triumphs over evil through this act of love, through Jesus' death, his self-giving sacrifice for us all. And the cross is not the humiliation of Jesus, as would be expected. It's the vehicle of his victory. Through the cross, God triumphs. Through the cross, Satan and demons and all evil are publicly humiliated. They are defeated and as if dragged through the streets of the universe. We can see them as they truly are. False, weak, defeated, empty gods. We cannot say it enough. The cross is the pivotal moment in history. Our God triumphs over evil, and he is so, so good. He lives in us, he protects us, and we do not need to worry. Let's review as we close. As we have received Jesus, let us continue in him. Let us grow our roots deep down in him and be built up strong and tall in him. Let us follow God's commands, build our houses on the rock. Being strong in God means to be aware of the false philosophies around us. They may look enticing, but they are empty, and they will leave us empty. The fullness and completeness of God is in Jesus, and fullness of our lives lies in him. He is over everything else, and he protects us, his children. Not only that, but he has triumphed over all powers and authorities through the cross. All glory be to him. Let's pray. Lord, please let each and every one of us here grow in you. Please root us deep down in you and build us up strong and tall in you. God, don't let us buy into the false practices of the world. Don't let us mix and match whatever we want into our living for you and our worship of you. Let us strive to know you and to truly worship you alone, God. Thank you for bringing us forgiveness and salvation and help us to thank you every day for this. In your name, Jesus, amen.